In the beginning, I'm not going back to Moses. I'm not going back to Abraham. I'm going back to the Garden of Eden. God established the tithe to demonstrate our dependence and trust on God as our provider. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. If you have your Bibles, we have been on the last several weeks talking about building the Christian life. And I knew some of you knew we had to get to it sooner or later, but you can't build the Christian life without understanding God's take on finances. And I I say this, and you're going to say, Well, maybe it wasn't, but I purposely have saved the best for last. Because this is the only place in God's word that he said that we can actually bring a problem upon ourselves if we don't trust him. I've told people for years, if you purposely refuse to tithe, it's akin to to committing spiritual suicide. Because the tithe isn't about you, it's not about me, it's about God. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about this subject. And some of you would sit here, as church people do, all around the world, and they say, well, Pastor, tithe is a, is a law thing. It's under the law, and Jesus fulfilled the law. Well, I'm going to teach you this morning that it has nothing to do with the law. Matter of fact, I'm going to take you all the way back to Genesis, where tithing actually started. Twenty. 700 years before the law. Oh, I could feel the gasp in the room. Let me say that God wants us blessed, folks. God wants us blessed. As you can look around to our church and see all the things that God has done, in spite of what the devil tries to do, God is blessing. God is growing. God is developing. God is doing what he promised. Why? Because he builds the church and the gates of hell will not prevail. It doesn't matter. He desires to bless us to the degree that when people see our lives, they will see a blessing. Now, no, I'm not talking about the way you dress. I'm not talking about the way you comb your hair. I'm talking about the attitude of your life. If we don't have a good attitude, how in the heck do we tell somebody we're blessed? How many had those folks come to your door, knocking on your door, and they say, we want to tell you about Jesus. 
You know the folks, they look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. They're all wrinkled up and they, you know, they come up and they say, well, you need to have what I have. My goodness, I don't want what you have, <laughs> whatever it is. They begin to see the joy of God in your life. They see the blessing of God in your life. Why? Because all of God's provision and protection is based around obedience, trust, belief. Let me get at least one amen. amen. I've shared this before, but it bears witness to share again. Is Out of all of the things that the Lord talked about, 38 various parables that Jesus talked about, over 16 of them were directly related to money and possessions. God made a covenant with us. The word covenant means partnership or agreement. And literally what God tells us from Genesis to Revelation, if we will trust, he will guide, he will protect, he will fulfill. That is God's promise. In the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, we find some 500 times that the Lord talks about prayer. Pretty important. In the entirety of the Bible, he talks about faith just less than 500 times. But when it comes to the issue of trust, resources, finances, possessions, the scripture dedicates more than 2,000 passages. Do you think God's trying to get us to understand something? This is why I say I saved the best for last, because the truth is, is if we aren't have a handle around this, then all the rest of it really isn't going to matter. Because all you're doing is saying, God, I trust me and my job and my ability more than I trust you. Let me take you back in Scripture. Let's go to Hebrews 7. I've got a lot of Scripture to read, so we're going back to a man by the name of Melchizedek. The Bible says he was the king of the city of Salem, and also he was the high priest of the God Most High. Now understand, I'm going back 700 years before Moses, before the law. This is what we're talking about with Melchizedek. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Now, when you go into the scripture, the Bible says the only person that can bless is God. God is the only one who can do that. So there's something about this person called Melchizedek. Melchizedek means king of justice, or excuse me, then Abraham took a tenth of all. Circle that word because that means a tithe. He took a tenth of all that he had captured in the battle and he gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice. King of Salem means king of peace. Now let's look at this guy's life. He had no record of father or mother, no ancestries, no lineage, no beginning, no end of life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. Melchizedek was the representation of the incarnate Christ prior to his birth in Bethlehem. So let's go on here. Even Abraham, consider how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the greatest patriarch of all, recognized this and gave him 
a tithe of what he had taken in battle. Now the law of Moses required that priests, the descendants of Levi, must collect tithe from the rest of the people of Israel, who also are the descendants of Abraham. This is where people get into the understanding of thinking, well, this is just for the Jews. Before there were Jews, there was tithing. Okay? Now, the law of Moses required that the priests collect the tithe of the rest of the people of Israel, who are the descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, not under the law, not a part of any of this. Now, Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, collected the tithe from Abraham. And Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham who had already received the promises of God. What was the promises? God said, I'll make you a great nation. In you all the earth shall be blessed. And without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who blessed. Are are you getting this? Let's go on here. The priest who collect tithes are men who die. But this Melchizedek is greater than they because we are told he lives on. In addition, we might even say that the Levites who collect the tithe paid their tithe in Melchizedek because they were in the bowels of Abraham when Melchizedek collected the tithes. And then we see the fulfillment of the 110th Psalm in Christ, when we go down in the 21st verse, it says that Jesus remains a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That word order means decrees. It means ordinances. It means things set in place that will not change. How many are part of some Elks order? or this order, or that order. It don't change. It's been around for hundreds of years, some of these different things. It doesn't change. That's what it's talking about. He is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 700 years before there was a law, before there were Levites. Are are we grabbing this today, folks? Okay, let me ask it again. Are we grabbing this today? Okay. I want to make sure that we know this. Now let's go to the end of the Old Testament. Once again, in just a moment, I'm going to take you back to Genesis and show this is where it all started. Am I doing okay, Jerry, back there? Okay, good, good. Malachi chapter 3. So we're going to go to Genesis here in just a moment, but I'm going to take you to the end of the Old Testament. Look what it says. I am the Lord. What's the next four words? Say this with me. I am the Lord, therefore, Israel hasn't been consumed. Oh, Israel's been spread all over the earth, but they've never been destroyed. Listen to me. After 2,500 years, Israel came back together. The only nation on the earth that has kept its identity and its language. Any other race that has been euthanized or eradicated, When they try to come back together, they have to create a whole new language. Israel didn't. God said, 
I don't change. That's why you haven't been wiped out yet. From the days of your father, but listen to this. Here's your problem. You have gone away from my what? God said, I haven't changed a thing. You have not kept my order, my ordinances, my decrees. And then look what God says. He says, return to me, and I will return to you. Now, I've shared with you in teaching for, since this church was born three years ago, there's only two things that God did first. In all of known history, two things, and they both start with C. The first one was creation. second one was Calvary. The only two things God ever did first. Everything else, he said, I'll do as a result of your obedience. Okay, so look what he says. He said, guys, it's time to return. You do your part, I'll do my part. Stop making all the excuses, all the reasons why, well, this just can't happen. Well, you know, pastor, this person, that person, the other person, this situation. God said, flush all that stuff. Return to me if you want me to return to you. And then the people said, well, how should we return? And look what God says. Will you rob me? You talk about a slap in the face. You say, well, God, maybe I should return, and I'm not praying enough. I'm not doing enough alms. I'm not doing enough good deeds. There's some people base their entire Christian life over doing good things, and they're no more saved than this book on my desk. Goodness, as we've been teaching on our Wednesday night class in the book of Romans, if you haven't been coming, you need to come. It's an ecstatically exciting class. He said, you have robbed me. He didn't say anything else. And they asked you, how did we rob you? Read it with me. In tithes and offerings. Don't you love God? He don't mince any words. He said, you want to know the problem? You're not trusting me. You're not keeping my ordinance. You're not keeping my order that I established. And he said, that because of that, because of we won't do, a curse comes upon us. Why? Because you robbed me. Even this whole nation. Okay, now for some that would sit back, well, he's talking about Israel. See right there? Well, when you read the book of Romans and you read throughout the New Testament, the Bible says we have become Israel through salvation. We have been grafted in. So guess what we're a part of? The nation of Israel. I'm not a Jew. You better hope. You are a converted Jew is what you better hope. Are you with me so far? So let's go on. So now he tells us how to return to him. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. Try me now in this. Underline that in your Bible. It is the only place in all of Scripture where God says you can put him to the test. The only place where God says you can try him and challenge him. Matter of fact, throughout the rest of the Bible says, don't you tempt the Lord thy God. And God said, test me. Test me. And see if I, I love this. Malachi, it's, it's just a great book. Listen to what he says. Test me in this and see if I, I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a, 
a blessing that there will not be room enough to contain. And I love that part, but here's the part I love even more. He said, and I will rebuke the devil for your sake. I will rebuke the devil. So let's quickly go on our notes. How many are with me so far? Are we riding along? I know you're intently paying attention. I love it. First thing, the problem with the tithe. You know the problem we have with the tithe? We don't understand it. We've listened to too many people. Well, it's not for today. It's not. It's done away with. It's his. No, no, no. We think that God's ordinances have changed. What have we just read? God hasn't changed anything. God has not changed. So the tithe, let's get into that part. What the problem with the tithe is, well, pastor, I can only tithe 5%. That's not a tithe. Pastor, I can only tithe a quarter percent. Well, that's not a tithe. What does the word tithe mean? One-tenth. So if we are not giving, let me change the word, returning one-tenth of our income, of our increase, I'll use the biblical phrase, we're not tithing. Oh, this is, I can feel people just tightening up all over the place. And that's okay. I don't want you to take my word for it. That's why I gave you all these notes. I want you to go home and study it yourself. I don't want you to change anything. Because, folks, it's not about me. It's not about victorious life. It's about your trusting God. It means 10%. In the beginning, I'm not going back to Moses. I'm not going back to Abraham. I'm going back to the Garden of Eden. God established the tithe to demonstrate our dependence and trust on God as our provider. All the way back, we'll stop real quick at Abraham. When Abraham gave the tithe, once again, 700 years, 600 years, depending on which person you read, Before the law, he said, because you have done this, I will defeat your enemies for you. Genesis 14, 20. I will defeat your enemies for you. Now let's go back 2,000 years before Abraham to Genesis chapter 2, and we find this lush garden called Eden. How many know the story? I don't have to tell you the story. The Bible said there's all kinds of plants and all kinds of trees and all kinds of stuff in the Garden of Eden. And what was, a, what was a Adam's responsibility, Adam and Eve? What were they supposed to do? Go ahead and say it out loud. It's not a trick question. What were they supposed to do? They were supposed to work the land. Good to see you. They were supposed to work the land. Were they not? God was still the provider. Remember, after the fall, He said, now you've become cursed, and I'm going to tell you why. And now he said, instead of me providing everything, you're going to have to work your butt off to get it. I know that's that's the Tim version, okay? It's a little different. I can say butt in church. Is that okay? Okay, good. Like I said, people are amazed at what I say. You'd be more amazed if you knew what I wasn't saying. Okay, so you with me? In the garden, God said, take care of all of it. Dung it. 
fertilize it, dig it, water it, struck, do everything to it. But of the tree of the knowledge of fruit, of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't touch. God said it's mine. You know what that is? That's God's tithe. He said, you still got to take care of it. You still got to water it. You still got to call it. You still got to prune it. You still got to do everything to it as you do all the other trees, but that's my tree. He says the same thing about the tithe. He said, the tithe is mine. It's holy. Don't even touch it. Because on the day you do, you die. Do you see the picture? What was God establishing all the way back in the Garden of Eden? You got to trust and obey me if you want my provision and protection. And what did he say? I haven't changed. How many are doing okay? How many want to throw something at me? The problem is, is we think that somehow it has to do with us. When it doesn't, it has to do with our relationship with God. God established the tithe and the offering to demonstrate our dependence and commitment to him. He said, well, pastor, show me it in the Bible. I already have a whole bunch. You want some more? Okay, I'm glad you asked. From Genesis to Malachi, it's called tithing. The synonymous phrase is called first fruits offering. What's a first fruit mean? I, I am, I'm interested because I watch the news all the time, and they have a brand new report just came out last week. They have a, a new law called HR, I want to say 193 or something like that. Let me tell you what a farmer does. When a farmer cultivates the land and, and plows the land and harvests the land, the very first thing he harvests is the seed for the next crop. They got a brand new law called H.R. 193 that the government says you can't do that anymore. That's my seed. Go look it up. Just go look it up, farmer's seed or something like that. I think it's H.R. 193. But if you got to know, call me later. I'll tell you the code. What's the farmer supposed to do? The government's coming in trying to take the control of everything, even the seed, even the first fruits offering. And you know when the farmer cultivates the seed, he keeps the best for the next harvest. Why? Because he knows if he's going to have a good harvest, he better be investing the best. So from Genesis to Malachi, it's called tithing. It's called first fruits giving. Through the New Testament, it's called, yes, tithing still. It's called stewardship. It's called giving, what, giving to God what belongs to God. It's called giving according to your increase. It's called giving according to your income. It has nothing to do that, that if one man makes more, well, he should give more. Folks, redistribution doesn't work in the word of God. Okay, I just threw that in there. It wasn't part of my notes. That's free. Okay? But what it is, if Phil here makes $100,000 a week, am I prophesying, brother? Are you going to grab that? Okay. If Phil here makes 100000 a week and Lenore makes a million dollars a week, guess what? Her tithe is going to be based on one million. She's going to give a tithe of a hundred thousand. 
he's going to give a tithe of 10,000. Now, just because she made a million doesn't mean that she has to give a bigger tithe. It's still 10%. If you make $1 a week, what's your tithe? Okay, some of you guys are having a hard time with math. It's, it's a dime. If you make $100, it's $10. I can just go on and go on. This has never changed. God said in the Garden of Eden, you've got to take care of everything, but this one thing you can't have. It's mine. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the same thing with what we're talking about today. We're talking about building the Christian life. Some of us struggle in our Christianity because we are not trusting God. We're trusting our job. We're trusting our bank account. We're trusting our family. We're trusting our friend. We're trusting our church. Malachi wrote before what is called the 400 silent years. It was during this time that the Pharisees came to power. Malachi addressed the issue that Israel had turned away from God. You see what happens when a man takes control? We'll do the same thing. We'll start worshiping the golden calf. What's the Bible say? Mammon. The world system. Looking at it to supply. Listen to the statements that they made in Malachi. How apathetic the people had become. They said, how have we turned away from you, God? Let, let me bring it to today. God, we still go to church. We still sacrifice our time. That's our first problem. It's not our time. Someplace in my Bible says when you gave your life to Christ, you died. And that we now are a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable we are presenting our lives, which it says in Romans 12.1, which is our reasonable act of worship. It's the least we could do is live our lives. And the Lord responded, said, you're right, you still do these things, but listen to what he says. You only do what's convenient. You only do what's comfortable. He said, you, you don't give your best anymore. He's talking to the, to the people in Malachi's time. Well, it's come today. Yeah, you still go to church, but only when it doesn't interrupt with sports. When it doesn't interrupt with what I got planned that Sunday. When it doesn't... In oh, I'm getting people irritated now. Preacher, you're not preaching. You're meddling. I could probably find it somewhere in the Bible. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us let convenience and comfort govern our lives? The Bible says that when the shepherd is come against, when the enemy is coming in, that a hireling flees, but a shepherd stands up and fights. And that's what we do. He gave me a staff. He gave me a rod. The staff is to pull those in that the enemy is trying to steal away and the rods to slap the devil over the head and rebellious sheep. Oh, I just threw that in there. I just. So what is the difference between Malachi's time and our time? In Malachi, they didn't put God first in their sacrifice. They gave God what was left rather than what was right. They didn't put God first in their families. They had divorce and crumbling marriages. 
They didn't put God first in their finances. Their money and their increase was falling apart. The Bible says over in another, uh, uh, another scripture, it says that they put money in their pockets with holes in them. Instead of putting God first in everything, they were giving God the leftovers. There's a story I read, and I think I shared it with uh, the church when we were in the hotel when we first started. But it's a true story about a missionary to India that was trying to convert her Hindu neighbors. One morning, she spoke to a woman that was on her way to sacrifice, and she was walking down the road, and, and she carried in this wagon two little children, two little boys. One was the, was the picture of perfect health, bright eye. I mean, just the other one was crippled, all kinds of ailments. And the missionary woman, Mary, made conversation with her and said, what are you doing? She said, I'm on the way to the river to sacrifice, to make atonement. She didn't use that word, but to make a sacrifice to the gods for my sins. So Mary was very quick to talk about Jesus and the sacrifice he made at Calvary. And the woman didn't want to hear anything, and so she went on her way. Well, come back later in the day, she saw the woman pulling the wagon with one son. And the child that was left was the crippled one. Mary was aghast. Where, where's your other son? She said, I told you I was going to the river to sacrifice. I offered my son by throwing him into the river to please the gods that my sins would be forgiven. Mrs. Douglas was horrified. How could you do that? And listen to her rationale. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to our rationale. How could you have done that? Don't you know you had other responsibilities? How can you give your money to the church? How can you give? Don't you realize you have bills? You have this, you have the other. Don't you realize? How could you give up one of your sons? And if you had to give him up, why didn't you give the crippled one and spare the healthy one? He could have been a benefit to your life. And the Hindu woman looked at her without a moment's hesitation. And she said, I don't know about your religion, but in our religion, we give our best. Now think about it. That's a true story, folks. Think about it. Why is it in Christianity, we're always looking, all looking, always looking for loopholes? We're always looking for some way. Well, God, you don't understand where I'm at. God knows exactly where you are and where I am and where all of us are. But he said, I don't change. You either trust me or you're going to fall into the snare and the lie of the enemy. You see, folks, there's a relationship between our possessions and our priorities. And our relationship becomes a problem when our priorities are messed up. We start becoming desensitized. We know what we should be doing. We just don't want to do it because we have other things to take care of. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I believe in having nice things. I think if you can afford it, have whatever you want to have. But don't cut off your nose to spite your face, which is exactly what we do when we say, God, I can't do what you said because I want what I want. And somebody say amen. There is a newspaper article in a small town newspaper years ago, a very sad one about a 
man that was suffocated by his pet 15-foot python. We've actually seen those stories every year. A python gets out of the cage and crawls into a baby's pen. I mean, what is, what's a snake going to do? What he does, he eats, and he kills to eat. So the, a noted herpetologist was commenting on the, strat- the, the tragedy and said the safest way to deal with a snake that big is don't deal with it. He said, I, I wouldn't agree with anybody who wants to keep a dangerous animal as a, a pet. Why? This is what he says. He says, at first, they're cautious. But as they become more comfortable with the animal, they let down their guard and become increasingly careless until tragedy strikes. And if you have a pet that big around, it could just kill you. But isn't that the way we are in Christ? We let pet sins lie around. We let these pet ideas that are disobedient to God. Let's go back to Malachi. Since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees, my ordinances, my order and structure. He said, you got to return if you want me to return. And then he goes right into the comment or the statement. It's about tithe and offering. It's about who you trust in this world. We did a series on priorities, and we talked about you can either serve God or you can serve mammon. So they said, how are we going to turn to you, God? How are we going to return? He explained, you're robbing me. What are you robbing me of? Tithes and offerings. Here's several things that happened to these people before they they stopped putting God first. Just like the story I just read, the first thing is they became insensitive. They just stopped doing it. They don't know what they've done. Now listen to me. I've known people over the years where they gave. They were the they gave, and I mean to the penny, offerings besides. And then all of a sudden something happens in their life, and they stop giving, and nothing changes. It can go on for a week, it can go on for a month. I've seen it go on for a year. Let me take you back to the farmer. You know what happens with that farmer when he's planting that field and he's harvesting that field? Say this year he gets lazy and he takes the seed he keeps for the next harvest and says, I need to spend this too. I've got stuff I've got to do. And he doesn't plant the field. You know what's going to happen in that field next harvest? It's going to produce a crop. Just not as good as the one before. But it could be not noticeable. Why? Because it still has the seed established. Am I making sense? Well, he harvests that crop, and then pretty soon he hasn't been saving anything, hasn't been putting anything aside for the next harvest, and he says, well, let me just go one more nearer. This wasn't too bad. The next year it's less. Next year it's less until pretty soon we have all these financial issues. We have all these harvest issues. What happened? You can trace it back to the farmer's first harvest. He said, I got better things to do with this seed. I got more important things to do with this seed. And who's it ultimately cost? Well, it costs the silo. I mean, the silo doesn't, oh, it'll bring harvest in from all over the place. See, any individual thing doesn't make a difference. Oh, it does to God, but in the big scheme of things. But in all of it, God says, I want you to be blessed. 
They become insensitive to God. Then they get encased in a trail of unfaithfulness. First, they don't know what they've done. Then all of a sudden, family and home and relationship, along with their finances, begins to take second base to them. And then when it's all messed up, they say, I don't know how to get back. I don't know how to get back. Let me make a statement, and I think I left it in your notes. But if I didn't, write it in there. Tithing is not a step of getting closer to God. All tithing is, is a result of being close to God. And when we start pulling away from God, then we stop trusting God. And we start saying, God, I'm going to do it my way. Let me take you to another place in the word of God in 1 Kings. The widow woman of Zarephath took the oil and the meal and gave it to Elijah first. From Genesis to Revelation, God says, put me first. Trust me and see if I won't open the windows of heaven. See if I won't rebuke the devourer. In our lives, God said it's not about how much you give. It's a matter that you give. Well, I thought you said tithing. Right. The amount's already set. But it doesn't mean, matter if it's a dollar or a million dollars as long as it's a tithe. If we want God's protection and provision, God says, it's my way. The widow woman of Zarephath had nothing. Elijah, the man of God, comes to her, and he asks her, what do you have in the house? And she says, a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil. I'm going to make a cake for my son and I. We're going to eat it, and then we're going to die because we're done. And listen to what Elijah said. You can read it in 1 Kings. He said, make the cake for me first. Oh, the arrogance of that preacher. The, the audacity of it to say, do that for, who do you? Don't look at me like that. You know you've done that. Because I have. But he said, make it for me first. Elisha followed in Elijah's shoes. The Bible says that she followed uh, her, uh, th this woman, and a man who revered the Lord. And Elisha asked the woman, what do you have? I want you to understand. People sit back and say, God, I can't afford to tithe now. You cannot afford not to. Whether you have little or much, you cannot afford. People say, well, pastor, I'm on welfare. Tithe on your welfare. Amen. Oh, you just want more money. I want you to be blessed as the word of God says. Amen. Listen to it. Elisha came to her and said, what can I do? said, we have nothing, and the creditors are coming to take my sons. And, I, and Elisha asked a very similar word in 2 Kings chapter 4. You can read it. He said, what do you have? And she said, I just got a little oil. Now, we think God's just going to do a miracle. Poof, it's all there. Nope. But God's doing the same thing that he did with Elijah. He said, make a cake for you first. 
And then the Bible says that the barrel of meal never ended and the cruise of oil never emptied. She only had enough for one cake, but it lasted over seven years while the drought lasted. How does that work? 2 Corinthians 8 says, you give God what you have, he gives you what you don't have. Okay, so he's telling, he's telling the woman with a little bit of oil, you have anything else? Said, no, just, just a little bit of oil. He said, okay, go out and gather all the vessels you can. And with that little bit of oil, she filled every vessel until there were no more empty vessels in all the land. How does that work? Because God said, if you give me what you have, I'll give you what you don't have. God has not changed his mind. In the Garden of Eden, he said, you can have everything, just don't touch that tree. From Genesis to Revelation, he said, everything you can have, just don't touch my tithe. It's mine. But we have a better idea, so we keep doing what we do. The problem with the tithe, we think it's ours. Somebody say amen. Amen. The priority as I begin to wrap this up this morning, putting God first. Putting God first. The Pharisees were not a very good bunch of people, were they? The only thing that Jesus ever commended the Pharisees on was the tithing. Matter of fact, you read Matthew 23, 23. I'm, I'm reading it out of the New Living Translation. You know what it says in the last half of the verse? He said, you should tithe, but stop neglecting justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus did, told, the, told the Pharisees, keep tithing. He said, you're doing right in this one thing. I'm going to irritate some folks right now, but that's okay. I'm, I, I got a license for that. Matthew 5 Verse 20 says this, unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, you won't even make heaven. They were doing a lot of right stuff. They're just doing it the wrong way. Somebody say amen. Are we good? Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in everything you do, acknowledge him and he will make your path Straight, underline this in your notes. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Stop trying to figure this thing out. Well, well, God, you understand. No, he doesn't. He said, I am the Lord. I do not change. This is the only way that I can guarantee provision and protection. It's if you'll trust me in this area. He said, fear the Lord, shun evil. This will bring health to your body, nourishment to your bone. Honor the Lord with your health, and here's that word, and the first fruits of all of your crops, all of your increase. Matthew 6, seek the Lord, or seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, what things? All the things that the world has, God said, I'll take care of those things. See, one thing is certain, God has not changed his mind. In, in Romans chapter 3, look what it says. There is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. It says, do we nullify the law by this faith? No, we uphold the law. 
2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in what? Righteousness. Right standing before God. James chapter 1 says, don't merely listen to God's word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. The key to all I'm talking about in these last few minutes is to remember it's about our commitment. It's all about our commitment. The root of commitment is trust. It's not only words. Or excuse me, if it's only words, if it's only actions, then we deceive ourselves. In a little while, even the good you are doing or have done will become bad. Titus 1 says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and their consciences become corrupted. They claim they know God, but by their actions, they deny him becoming detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good thing. Still love me? Okay. Let me close. So what happens when we realize that we have a problem with the tithe? What happens when we begin to realize that we got to make tithing a priority is we start realizing that God is our provider. Now listen, I'm not going to take an offering at the end of service to see if it worked. <laughs> it's not about victorious life. It's not about me. I want you to go home and study and find out who you are. Because ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, if we aren't trusting God in everything, we aren't trusting God in anything. I got one amen out of that. If we aren't trusting God in everything, you can get mad at me. Well, I'm just not going to give anymore. not going to hurt me. Well, it'll hurt the church. No, it won't. You know why? Because God provides for this church. I'd love you to death. But it isn't any of our money that's taking care of things. It's all of God's provision. Can I say that okay? Are you good with that? That's why in our church, I don't even look at the tithe. We have a group of ladies that come in on Monday and they do all of this. But the problem is that I've shared with all of them. You've got to be careful what you look at. Because pretty soon you start seeing people as money. And when people start leaving which people ultimately do, you think they've left with your money. Oh, the church is going to suffer for this. No, it isn't. God's building his house. God is building his house. Not Tim Masters. God is building his house. And the gates of hell will not prevail. The only person it hurts is the person sitting in your chair. That's the only one. You see,
God said, I'll make my provision known through the tithe. But we still get caught up in Ecclesiastes 8. Verse 11, it says, because the judgment for the sins and iniquities of people are not speedily executed, man is set on doing what he wants. Folks, it's going to catch up. Just like that old farmer that decided, I'm not going to put the seed away this year. Oh, he had a harvest next year. And he had a harvest the next year. It just kept getting worse and worse until there wasn't nothing left. Is that the life we want to live? Three things John Wesley said have to get saved when a person comes to Christ. The man, his mind, and his money. So God said, return to me. He said, I'm not doing anything until you repent, until you get your heart right. And folks realize when the one finger is pointing forth, three fingers are pointing back, it's an us thing because we all deal with issues. He said, return, repent. And then he gives us a very simple breakdown on how to do it. He said, the problem is you're not trusting me. He said, bring the whole tithe. How much is the tithe, folks? How much? 10%. The whole tithe. You see, they were having the same problem back there. Back in the Garden of Eden also, God said, don't touch that tree. It's mine. Well, sure, it looks good. It's supposed to taste good. And if I get it, I'll become like God. We have a lot of little gods running around, don't we? He said, bring the whole tithe. And you notice what he said? He didn't say parcel it. He didn't say mail it. He didn't say, you know, to get somebody else to bring. No, he said, personally bring the tithe. How much? The whole tithe. As I said earlier, withholding your tithe is like committing spiritual suicide. It will literally catch up with us. And then God tells us where to give, and that's the storehouse. Now, let me, people say, well, my storehouse can be any place. Not biblically. The storehouse is where you're receiving your spiritual nourishment. Let me give you the breakdown from the Strong's Concordance. It's the cellar, the armory, the treasury, or the depository that you receive from. It's not a man. It's not a ministry. It's not the poor. Well, that's how I tithe. I tithe to the poor. Well, that's a good thing, but it's not tithing because that's not what the Word of God says. It's the church's responsibility to take care of these other things. Bring it all in the storehouse that there might be food in my house is why. He told us how to give, we bring it. What to give? The whole tithe. Where to give it? The storehouse. And he even tells us why to give it. That there's food in my house so I can take care of the stuff I need to take care of. I appreciate this church. This church is an incredibly giving church. You people are an incredible trusting people 
even in all my failures, you still sit back and say, yeah, it looks like God's building the house. Because that's what God does. It's not about a man. It's about trust. And I've heard this over the years, so I'll just address it. Or what if I don't trust the man? Don't give. Well, that's going to benefit. No, it's going to hurt you and not me. Why? Because you're not supposed to be given to a man anyway. You're supposed to be given to the kingdom. I've had people over the years say, well, what happened when Jimmy Swagger fell? All of these millions. God still honored every single heart that gave. What happened when, when Robert Tilton fell? What happened when, when fill in the blank? There's been lots of them. Sadly, God never forgot a single dime. Because it wasn't a man. It was a kingdom that you were given to. I leave you with this question as we begin to pray. Who are you trusting? Who are you trusting? The minute it becomes about money, I can't serve God. And the minute it becomes about money, you can't serve God. That's why God says, I don't change. I don't change. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.